Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So, we do not lose heart. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Uh, it is my privilege to open God's Word. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5. I invite you to turn there in your copy of God's Word. If you have a pen and paper, take some notes. Um, and uh, the church in Traverse City that I have the distinct privilege of pastoring, uh, we have been in a series of 2 Corinthians, uh, just preaching verse by verse right through that fantastic letter. And um, God's timing is not only astounding me, but the depth uh, and the privilege I have. Like, I get paid to study God's Word. It is so awesome. And the depth of uh, what God is showing me in His Word is um, filling my heart. And uh, I I just want to say thank you to the worship team. The song set today was astoundingly uh, perfect with the sermon um, by God's um, grace, maybe by your wise design. I don't know, but I... I thank you for leading my heart in worship. I am so uh, privileged to call your pastor, Pastor Brian, our friend, uh, Brian and Ginger, uh, we've known for several years, and um, I'd say this about your pastor is that I don't question for a second his full heart to love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He, he loves God's Word, and he loves you. Even in difficult times, you know, pastors can pick up the phone and it's often the time when I'm like, there's a, there's a conflict or something like this. Even in difficult times, I've never heard him disparage any one of you. And he's like, man, God is awesome. He's at work. And his patience and faithfulness to bring you and to lead you in God's word uh, warms my heart and encourages me. And it's my privilege just to stand here in his pulpit and um, open God's word. I pray that it'll be a blessing to you. So in chapter 4, we're in chapter 5, but in chapter 4, you kind of need to know the context. It was not separate from this video, and one of the reasons why that bumper played, we're in this bigger series really talking about God's power and our weakness. And if you miss that dynamic, you really miss the 
centerpiece of Christianity. We come to God, it's God who saved us, not we ourselves. We were weak. We come to Him extraordinarily needy as people in need of salvation, in need of regeneration, in need of being born again. And so uh, we come to Him as a needy people. Amen? And, and, and He's the power. He's the answer. He's the provider. He's the great physician. And so we know all of these. We, you say these things, but I want to press it down from God's Word in our hearts so that it's not just here and not just here, but it's actually practically lived out in our speech, in our hands, and what we do, and our feet, and where we go. And, and it affects our actual everyday lives. So in chapter 4, he says he opens really in verse 1. You can look at it if you want. I'm just going to skip through that chapter and pull out a few highlights that meant a lot to my heart. First of all, he says, so we do not lose heart. So the context of even chapter 5 is still a continuation of this. How do we as believers walk through this temporary life that God has granted us? And how do we not lose heart in the process? How many of you have been in church for more than 10 years? I mean... Have you ever seen someone lose heart? I can go back to the names. So there's a real risk in your life and mine of losing heart even as believers. How do we surround our hearts with the truth of God's Word so that we don't lose heart? So there's Paul talking to the church at Corinth. He says this, don't you know that we have treasures in jars of what? Clay. We have an extraordinary treasure. He's giving us a clue. We have a treasure, God's power. In what? Jars of clay, my weakness. But we have a treasure, and if you miss the treasure, you risk losing heart. He then goes on to have these crazy statements that have no context unless you understand the power of God. He then says, we're afflicted, but not crushed. Things are perplexing but we're not given to despair. There's, I mean, he, he goes on. He says, we're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. And we're like, man, that sounds like a terrible Christian life. Welcome to church. <laughs> Afflicted and struck down and persecuted and perplexing and great. I want to be a Christian. And, and we say, amen. Yes, we do, because we have the treasure. And so if you miss the treasure, listen, I can give you the sermon in a sentence. If you miss the treasure of Jesus Christ, you will never put up with perplexing things. You will never put up with any affliction. You will never put up with any level of persecution. You won't want to despair. You by default will go for your own comfort instead of what God has called us to as Christians. In our future reality, the title for this sermon the future reality of what God in Christ Jesus has for you and me as his sons and daughters allows us to put up with some things in the present to show that it's not my power, my strength, but his. And in that, God gets more glory. So what God has been teaching me in His Word is a little bit like, well, I don't know, have any of you ever snorkeled? Scuba dived? I, Christy and I, my wife and I, had a privilege of, we have some great friends in the church who, uh, I think it was two years ago, said, hey, we've, 
we've rented this house in Mexico. And I'm like, well, that sounds very luxurious. Would you like to go? Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Doesn't matter what's on the calendar. So we had the privilege of like six days in Mexico. And it was a house on this little lagoon. I think they call it a cenote overlooking the Gulf of Mexico. So it's actually, there was a pool in between that. So it goes house, pool, cenote, ocean. <laughs> it was awesome. And in that cenote, you could, during high tide, all the fish from the Gulf of Mexico would come in and they camp out and eat and do their thing. And so you could float around on top and snorkel in a relatively shark-free zone, which was important to my wife. And so I was snorkeling around, and the friends we were with, they're both scuba pros, like they are dive instructors. That's what they do for some income. And I'm snorkeling, and I haven't been snorkeling a whole lot, so I'm snorkeling around, having a good old time, and they're like, why are you swimming so fast? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and they go, stop. There's coral underneath you. Stop. Just stop. Float and look and don't move. And what God has been doing in particularly his word in 2 Corinthians for my heart, is he's pushing pause on the rapidness sometimes that I flow through scripture. I'm going to read the Bible in a year. And he's like, you know, push pause on all that. And instead of going over the top, why don't you look straight down? Because just like the coral reef, the longer I looked, the more I saw. And if you've ever stopped on a reef, you know, man, there's so much life there, but you just buzz right over the top of it. And you don't see the beauty of it. And God in his word is increasingly showing the beauty. So I say all that to say that I've been given only a few minutes in the scope of your week. Out of 160 hours, 68 hours that we have in this week, we only have a few minutes together trying to uh, combat the message of every other advertisement of every other speech probably that you will hear of any other uh, uh, kind of this this all-out drive that satan has corrupted our minds with and that materialism is the thing worthy of living for and so i just have given a, given a few minutes to kind of try and combat that by god's grace and we jump into chapter five but before we read it, let me give you one illustration to set it up. Because Paul is going, not the temporal, but the eternal. Don't live for the temporal. Now, I've already given you an illustration kind of of snorkeling, I guess. But let me ask this. How many of you have gone camping? I mean, it's Michigan, right? If you don't camp, what is wrong with you? So it was, I don't know, probably 20 years ago when my kids were little that caused my wife and I to stop tent camping forever. <laughs> we're in a part of Texas at the time. There's these lost pines. It's outside of Austin, in between Houston and Austin, kind of. In, and this lost pines campground, and the wind kicked up. We were camping, we have three kids, and it was a beautiful afternoon until the storm rolled in out of nowhere, the wind kicked up. We had a campfire going because it was a frigid like 75 degrees or something, but you still had to have the campfire, so you just sit there and sweat in Texas. And so 
you had a campfire, and the, but the wind picked up and started taking the embers from that, and there was a field of dry grass, and then Ranger Rick's cabin was right there too. And so for the next half hour, I am stamping out, like, put that fire out, kids, and I'm stamping out the embers on this dry grass as the little fires kept, and my heart was pounding and racing. Okay, so that was the beginning of a very difficult evening and night, because what rolled in right after that windstorm was the um, freezing rain. I'm like, it was 75. How did it drop? 40 degrees. That night it got into the 20s. Well, we were prepared for hot weather, but not prepared for cold weather. Now that doesn't, 20 sound like, I mean, it feels like a spring day around here. It's in the 20s. I'm fine. But back then I owned one coat. And the time for camping in Texas was always between Thanksgiving and Easter. Those were the guard because it was too hot to camp any other time. You never camped in the summer because you sweat. And so we were there and, and this, this cold front rolled in. And I, I, can't, I can't really describe it. It was so bad. So, so we had been like, I thought I was a camping professional. Like we had even graduated at this stage in my life to not camp on just with a sleeping bag, but actually we hauled in an air mattress. Amen? <laughs> I mean, who doesn't like that? So we blew up the air mattress. The problem is, so, so well, let me get to the problem. But so in the air mattress, it's far more comfortable than being, for whatever reason, I still had one of those mummy bags. Do you know what those are where it tapers down? Well, my feet just go like this when I sleep. And so that was ex extraordinarily frustrating. So we had given up that. And so we went to just one sleeping bag because it was warm weather, one sleeping bag unzipped completely, laid like a comforter over the top of the air mattress. And my wife and I could get under that. We even brought a bed sheet made for camping. And it was just like perfect and so we had like a normal bed in our tent it was glorious <laughs> until as the temperature dropped the air mattress deflated with a hole in it and my hip was against this freezing ground and I have never felt an ache like that in my life up to that point so my wife is like this shaking she's like we gotta do something so we go okay I'm gonna zip up we'll be warm I'm going to zip this sleeping bag all around us and it will insulate. I mean, it was rated to like, I don't know, 60 degrees or something. <laughs> so my wife and I got into the same sleeping bag. Now, we were married. <laughs> but me being an active sleeper, when I needed to turn over because my hip was aching, she was tight, right? And <laughs> Whoop, boom, right on over, whoop, boom, right on over every time I'd turn over. So she was not resting well that night. I say all of that, and there's more I could go on. I say all of that, that was the reason that we gave up tent camping. And here's what was the thought in my mind, really about 8.30 that night. I so want my own bed and my own home. You ever been camping and thought that? Oh, my bed is going to feel so good. Like, where's this going? Here's the point. <laughs> Paul's point. Paul's point in this whole text. Tents, temporary. Only for a short time. There's something permanent that we're made for that's infinitely better and will be so filled with joy. Okay? That's the point. Now let's look at chapter 5, verse 1. Say amen if you're there with me, church. 
So the first five verses of this chapter are explanation. Then in verse 6 through 10, it, it transitions to the application. So I want you to have that big picture of this text. First five are explanation. Then we go to application. So verse 1 says this, For we know. We're not questioning. We're not thinking. We're not guessing. We know, we know, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have. You might underline, we know and we have. We have what? A building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan. I know that feeling. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. I'm so longing for home. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Now verse 6. So, application, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by what, church? Faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage that we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. It's a coral reef. Too much to cover. But I'm going to take a stab at it. And I will tell you, my heart is torn this morning. My prayer leading into this, that it would be a comfort to those who are suffering. And an extraordinary comfort to those who have lost some loved ones. We've gone through an extraordinary season of growth and really blessing and abundance in our church in Traverse City, and it has been wonderfully absent from funerals. But if you've known the life of a pastor for very long, um, that season is about to end for us. We have two or three people in hospice right now, even as I'm talking, and we have a uh, mom who had triplets, now it's down to one, and she birthed a little beautiful girl at 23 weeks, right on the edge of being able to be uh, kept alive. And that's all happening right now. Um, just being completely transparent, before I walked into this building, actually I walked in and then walked out, my wife was still in the truck, she comes in, she has tears in her eyes. I'm like, what's going on? Our neighbors for 10 years have a 20-year-old son, and about four hours ago, our good friends and neighbors posted on Facebook that their son died last night. We don't know all the details, but that's not absent from what God wants to work on my heart to encourage my heart with the beauty of what is found in the treasure of Jesus Christ. And I so hope it's an encouragement to you. Number one is this. Be encouraged by what you have in Christ. Did you underline in verse 1, for we know, I hope you know, that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, 
We have. We got some things. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heaven. Have you ever thought about what you have in Christ? Like what He's given you? So, so in chapter 4, verse 1, he's already let out, we have a ministry. In chapter 4, verse 7, he says, we have this treasure. In chapter 4, and verse 13, we have the Spirit. I think you have notes, all these. I'm going very quickly because I, I want to fill in some stuff at the end for us. But we, we have, in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, we have a building. This is what we have. A ministry, a treasure, a spirit, a building. Have you thought about what you have in Christ? Now, it's interesting because the Apostle Paul, even in the verb tenses, I'm not going to take time to get into the Greek of this, but the, the reality is these, the way he's describing it is that the, the kingdom of God is both a now and not yet. There's aspects of the kingdom of God that haven't come around to us yet, but we're supposed to live in the present time based on the uh, truthfulness and, and surety of God's word as if we have already obtained what is yet to come. So when I entitle a sermon series or a sermon that's about our future reality, the point is that our future reality of what God has promised, we are so, so to be rock solid in our belief and faith in Jesus Christ and what he, he has for us in the future, that it changes our everyday life right now. I don't think we talk about the future after death near enough, even as Christians. It's not, a, it's not a bad thing. It's a glorious beauty. Listen, I have not seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for those who love Him. We haven't even imagined yet what's coming to us in glory. It's beyond us. And yet because of our bent to want to make this temporary tent a permanent dwelling, we focus on the temporal instead of the eternal. Now, interesting that Paul goes a tent analogy. It's not lost on me that he is by trade a what? He's a tent maker. He knows about tents. I didn't tell you about our camping story when that tent, uh, for some reason, after the cold front, it like blew through. And if you ever lived in the South, you know, like storms crop up, boom, and then go through, and then you have the backside of that storm or whatever. And so the wind picked up again on the backside of that storm, and it flattened the tent completely. It broke the fiberglass rods and just like snapped them. And so we are laying there. It had still, it's still raining, and my wife, like by this time, and by the way, <laughs> the Boy Scouts had set up camp, and about two hours into the storm, they're like, we're done, we're leaving, it's not safe for us. And I'm like, I am not quitter. I'm not a quitter. And at this point, I'm digging my heels in. And so um, uh, we were in a group of, I don't know, 10 of us or so. Half of them had already left. And I'm like, I'm not quitting. I'm not quitting. We did all the work to get here. We're staying and we're going to have fun whether we like it or not. And so, so my wife is not sleeping. I'm not sleeping. Husbands, you ever been in a, in a spot where you, you know you're not right with your wife, but it's eerily quiet and you can feel the glare and it keeps you... <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> It keeps you, wives have this extraordinary superpower to do that. And so I felt that all night, not an ounce of sleep. And so it's, it's freezing. 
we're smushed together, not sleeping. The tent has broken and it's down on us. She's worried, thinking we're going to suffocate. I'm like, we're fine. She's like, can we just go to the truck? I'm like, no, it's raining. Then I'll be wet and cold. <laughs> Terrible idea. We are staying here. Glare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so, so that was the camping thing. <laughs> so glad it's temporary. I think separate well, not separate from what Paul is giving us in this tent, is the picture, some of what every Hebrew knew was in their background from the Old Testament. See, there's a tent in the Old Testament. In fact, previous chapters, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 3 particularly, he's talked about Moses and the glory as the people uh, uh, even worshipped in the glory that was coming down in the tabernacle. So he talks about Moses getting the Ten Commandments and he veiled the glory. He's like, we don't have to do that anymore. We have the glory of Jesus Christ. But the the mindset still is of this tent of tabernacle in the Old Testament. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27, listen to this. He says this phrase, he's carrying on a continuing thought. He says, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. This is things that have been made. Why? In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's treasure, treasure, treasure. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, in the Old Testament tabernacle, if you don't know this, I think there's a picture up on the screen coming up about this tabernacle tent, this tent. Um, uh, The outside of this tent, the outer uh, walls uh, that you see would be like badger or animal skins, not particularly pretty. The next layer that is kind of hard to see, it's the red layer of the tent where ram skids dyed red. The next layer, the third one in, was goat's hair. Um, and and the, then the, the one that you barely catch a glimpse of on the left side of this drawing is a beautifully ornate fine linen with a variety of colors, and only you would see that if you were on the inside. Now there's a ton of symbolism in this, going back to the badger or animal skins that weren't particularly pretty, is symbolic of Jesus Christ coming, who was not, who's found in the form of man, but not particularly good looking, okay? And, and he was just ordinary. The ram skins dyed red, symbolic of the ultimate lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood on our behalf. The goat's hair. Uh, the blood of the lamb covered the goats there. The goat, if you remember in Old Testament, the goat would be the, the scapegoat, literally the sin offering, and to go outside of the camp all after washing the blood, the sin is gone. Okay? And so all of the symbolism, you have the fine linen with varied colors where only on the inside you would see the real beauty. This, this linen would have pictures of cherubim on it with wings outstretched, and we are for sure under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty. Amen? But on top of that, even in this tabernacle, there was this reality that people wanted to put the emphasis on it, but it's a tent. It's temporary. Temporary. They, then they built a, te- a temple permanent place, and everyone was focused on that, and God was still saying, no, no, temporary symbolism to get to me the better thing of eternity. It's interesting because in Mark 14, 58, Jesus says, I will destroy this temple. Do you remember what it says? That is made with hands. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. 
crucifixion, destruction of the temporary, to put on the eternal, speaking very much about the resurrected body of Jesus Christ, which is our hope. And we know Paul thought of our new bodies as being like Jesus' body because of Philippians 3.21 where it says Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. So the promises of all the groaning of these tent dwellers and the problems that are inherent to this life are transitioned and put far away as we assume our permanent bodies found just like to be Jesus' body, which is eternal. Okay, that's the picture. Look in verse 3 now, because he gets into a little weird text. Church, are you still with me? Still with me? If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. Like, what, Paul, are you talking about? For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. What is Paul saying? He's saying the ultimate Christian hope is not released from the tent, the temporary thing, that's, that's being released to, to be just like a soul spirit. There's no, there's no body. That's not the ultimate release, just to float around in a soul spirit. By the way, if you think of eternity as somehow you are floating on some nebulous cloud, that you're strumming some harp or something, you need to have a biblical perspective of what eternity is, because it's not that. It's not our final destiny to be naked with just a soul spirit. So, what do we do while we groan in this tent? By the pause, let me pause. I don't know if you've ever connected this. This is one of the things that God has astounded me all the way from uh, the time in preaching through our Advent this last Christmas all the way to now, and I'm still kind of, my mind is blown. Like, I've known it, it's just not been, hmm, I hate to say believed. I believed it, I just didn't assimilate it into my life personally. Does that make sense? What was Jesus Christ before coming to earth at Christmas time? He's God. Spirit? Colossians 1, Hebrews 1 both tells me it was him. He's the word, John 1. He's the word that actually spoke creation into existence. Yeah. So whatever he was pre-incarnate, pre-Christmas, he was a spirit Godhead for sure. I'm not diminishing anything of Jesus Christ or the Godhead, but the Bible specifically says he was the one who spoke all things into existence. They were not only made by him, but they're made for him. Okay? Read Colossians, read Hebrews 1, read John 1 1. And the the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So the word of God was nothing less than the person of Jesus Christ, the creator himself. That's Jesus. Okay? So. I say all that because I think sometimes we think Jesus is always just in a body in pre-heaven. He was in a body. He wasn't. He was bodiless. He was spirit, whatever that is. He was the Word. That's all we know from Scripture. He changed to pursue your heart and put on flesh. I mean, that alone, that's Christmas. But, but stay with me. What is Jesus Christ now? After the resurrection. What will he be a million years from now? 
the God-man. Does he have a body right now? Biblically? I'm testing you this morning. Don't be scared to answer. It's okay. I'll still love you. He has a resurrected body. I don't know all that that means, but it's phenomenally glorious. Like, I don't know if he can... Remember, he was walking with his disciples, and he was like... They kind of recognized him, but didn't. Then he revealed himself. So I don't know if he can morph. I don't know. (laughs) Can he walk through walls? Yes. But it's physical enough to say, hey, Philip, touch me. God, the creator, the word, and the person of Jesus Christ forever has a body in the pursuit of your heart and mine. Because he wants us to know the great treasure that he has. That is Paul's backbone to this argument. He's saying, don't you know that any affliction, any suffering, even death itself for a Christian is not a problem. Not a problem. My concern for your life and mine as Christians is that we seek to amass treasure all around our tents and not lay up treasure in eternity. Okay, so I'm getting there. I haven't even left point one yet. I'm 30 minutes in already. Okay, number two. Number two. God guarantees your future. Okay, so it's not like I'm guaranteeing. It's not like the FDIC. It's not like the government is guaranteeing. Good luck. It's God. Look in verse 5. Just so I know that you're with me, would you just give me an amen that you're in verse 5? He who has prepared for us this very thing is God. Who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. Now here's the great uh, oxymoron of Christianity. We can be suffering and have great joy both at the same time. I can be so filled in awe of the wonder of God and heartbroken for the hurt of my neighbors and friends who lost their son last night at the same time. I'm not discouraged. So we grieve but not as those who have no hope. See the difference? That's welcome to the Christian life. By the way, Paul in 2 Corinthians obliterates a health and wealth type of gospel where if you come to Jesus, you're gonna have a million bucks in your bank account and, and uh, the, you know, all the 2.3 children and a pool in the backyard and whatever else you want. Why? It's temporary. The nicest of homes is temporary. By the way, you say, well, what about leaving wealth to our children? Great. Do you know the extraordinary risk that is? Have you ever checked out the statistics of second generational wealth? That's probably a bad parenting move statistically. Not kidding. I have some friends who are third generation wealthy, but by the grace of God, they have hearts for God. But do you know, it's only about half of them, half of the family is like, so away into self-absorbed kind of the next best thing. Okay, where do I leave off? So we are always of good courage. We know, we know, 
we know, Paul's repeating this so that we know some things, that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by what, church? Faith, not by sight. Why? Faith in God's word about what he has promised our future is. That's our future reality. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Okay, pause right there. Courage comes from knowing the guarantee. So let's add to this list. We have this ministry, we have this treasure, we have this spirit, we have this building. We have the guarantee. God gives us a house and then gives us the down payment for this house. By the way, it's not from your resources, it's from His. It's His Spirit. Now, when, when I say down payment, it's actually a little bit more in, in Greek, if we were to unpack this, for sure you've heard earnest money, you know what that is. If you've ever bought a car or a house and had to make payments and took out a loan, you know what it is. You put a little money down and it just guarantees uh, 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 that you want to go through with everything you're going to complete the purchase, okay? Uh, but, but think of this, and you might even circle it in your copies of God's Word, this, this is more like an engagement ring that was a promise of something glorious to come but just not yet. Okay, So think of the Holy Spirit down payment. That's really a more fully orbed definition of what it means. Now, you, you and I don't need a theology book to describe this. About 31 years ago, I had the distinct privilege of taking every cent that I owned. I ripped it out of my meager bank account. And I went to the jewelry store to buy my wife-to-be a ring. And I went into this fancy jewelry store that had all the lights set up, and the lady behind the counter unrolled this black velvet. And she laid these rocks down, and she says, which one would you like? And I said, that's the wrong question. Which one can I afford? I've taken everything I have. This is all I got. What can I get? Because I don't want to wait anymore. I want to be with her. And so I set it up at my sister's home. She kind of worked with me, kind of a surprise night. And uh, she had a dinner prepared. Uh, she had radio music. Back then it was radio. It's not even stereo, I don't think. But it was a radio playing, okay, on a CD. You know what that was? Okay. <laughs> You're like, what is that? It was even before, like, what? iPods. Do we even have iPods anymore? Those are gone anyway. Okay. Okay, so it was that. And, and there were flowers there, and we had a nice meal. And during the dessert time, my sister and her husband exited the house to give us a little moment, and we sat in the living room, and I got down on one knee, and I pulled out from my back pocket the ring that I could afford, and I said, I so want to spend the rest of my life with you. Christy, will you marry me? And she said, yes. Okay. That night ended, and I'm like, uh, I, I, I really don't want it to end. I gave you this ring as, because I want to be with you. I don't want to be separate from you. And she wanted to be with me. 
I hated saying goodbye. We lived about 45 minutes apart. She had to go back. She was finishing some school, and so she would drive. And, and, and I, I remember, oh, man, I wonder if she'd get home. And she'd get home, and she could pick up the phone. Back then, it was landlines. There were no cell phones. I mean, I think I had graduated to a pager at that spot. I don't know, maybe. But, but there were no cell phones. I couldn't text. I couldn't do any of that stuff. I'm like, is she okay? She's getting home. She's getting home. She, she has the ring. That's a lot of money. And so I'm like, I'm... <laughs> That's my real unvarnished thought right there. And so, and so she gets home. She calls me a little bit. Oh, yeah, you made it home. Man, I love the ring. Oh, I'm glad you love the ring. I love you. I just want to spend my life with you. I hate that we couldn't spend just the rest of the night together. And, and, and okay, you get the picture? You get the picture? That's what God has left for us. Treasure in jars of clay. Now, I promised her, listen, at some point, and we set a date, guess what? I'm coming back to get you. And we don't have to be apart ever again. And soon we don't have to say goodbye. And honey, when you miss me, and we have to say goodbye, maybe you just take a look at the ring. And remember that you have a man who is willing to give everything in order to pursue you. Okay? Now, that's why Paul says in verse 8, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. By the way, in John 14, 3 and following, Jesus Christ says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He does not want to be separate from you. So we live in the temporary engagement period of the here and now, awaiting the return, the glorious return of our future bridegroom? He's going to come get his bride every follower of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying is that even bodiless existence with Christ is better than the temporary tent. So, to die in Paul's theology is gain. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You getting it? You see how God is connecting in 2 Corinthians 5 just a whole bunch of Scripture all together in this one beautiful text of Pauline theology. He wants to be with us. That's why in Romans 8, 38 and 39, he says this, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. He's coming back. That's the great hope of Christianity. And if you miss the treasure of what God has promised in the future, you'll never live in the present like he's called you to live, and you'll miss out on also joys right now. And you'll be tempted to lose heart. God wants to dwell with us. He's given us the engagement ring. So what are we to do? Last point, number three. Live with your life to please God. Live your life to please him. Now look at the text. I didn't like make up this point. 
He says the exact same thing in verse 9. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Then he gives this little warning that might seem like a stronger warning than it really is. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You've got to know that word evil there literally means worthless. And may I suggest to you that Paul is not talking about the judgment seat of God that he's going to judge sin. This is the judgment seat, it's the Bema seat, and it's more about rewards than judgment for sin. In fact, the judgment seat of Christ for Christians, it's about rewards, not specifically about salvation. And earlier in the text, like, uh, 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 there's very clear teaching from the Apostle Paul that you cannot do anything to actually please God. Uh, God's Son in Jesus Christ pleases God the Father, the judge, ultimately, right? So us being found in Christ, we are 100% pleasing to God. That's why he says in Romans 8, if you're a son or daughter of the King Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. None. So that means your past sin, think, think of that. We all got sins in the rearview mirror. Your past sin, your present sinfulness, and your future sins that you will commit, you will commit maybe 10 years from now, God already knows, and He already paid for them on the cross of Jesus Christ, and He extends to you, don't you know, I'll forgive you if you just ask. That's the glory of the gospel. That's extraordinarily good news, because being found in Christ then guarantees your future. So we live our lives to please the Lord. Do you know that every little unseen thing that you do in service of Jesus Christ, God sees? And Paul is telling the church at Corinth why he does not lose heart. Because he knows he'll be rewarded. Earlier in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verse 12, he says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, okay, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Not salvation, works. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, it will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. See what Paul is unpacking here on this great Bema seat? By the way, uh, there's coming a day for every believer that's a reward day. A reward day. And this is intended to be an encouragement for us to not lose heart, but keep running the race in order to receive the prize. Go for the gold. Now in Corinth, by the way, very specifically, the Corinthian church knew exactly what Paul was talking about. Corinth is on an isthmus. That's a, to a little sep part of land that connects these two larger pieces of land together. And you might recognize this. Second only to the Olympic games in that culture were the Isthmian games. Played in Corinth on the isthmus. Okay? That's where it comes from. And it was known throughout the Roman Empire. You wanted to get to the Isthmian Games in order to compete. And in Corinth, they had what they called a bema seat, which is simply steps leading up to a platform. And when the games were held, 
the winners would walk up the steps to receive their prize. You've all seen the Olympics come in the summer where they put their head down and whoever is judge puts that medal over the top, whether gold, silver, or bronze. Paul is making the same example. He goes, don't live your life for things that will burn up, but live your life for precious stones. Gold, silver. Now let me put it in a bigger context. Eternal things. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, said this. Don't lay up treasure here where rust and moth and dust corrupts. But lay up treasure where? In heaven. Eternal. Uh, get, get this. So right now in my study, I'm in chapters 8 and 9 and 10, and, 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 and it's crazy because uh, uh, Paul goes directly to our finances. He's saying, so if we talk about treasure, probably the greatest treasure, by the way, Corinth was extraordinarily affluent. Do you know that if you earn 50000 a year as a household, you have two people in the house and an average of two kids, do you know that you are in the top 16.3% of everyone worldwide? Do you know if you, if you in your household earn $100,000 as your income, you're in the top 7% worldwide? I had that stat with this verse in the background, lay up treasure in heaven, not on earth, and wood, hay, stubble. And I'm like, man, I, I, I kind of want that topper for my truck, and I, I want that shed in the backyard, and then I want that, that well, I, man, I want that massage chair. <laughs> Just speaking bluntly. <laughs> Valentine's Day is coming up, just dropping hints. <laughs> and that bigger house, and that second home, and that vacation, and that nicer pair of whatever, and on and on, and that dog, and that trip, and, and I want that meal, and I want to be able to eat there. My question that God really pressed into my heart, how much does God actually have to get, give to me before I start giving eternally into his kingdom? How much? Because I'm hitting that, that 7% of the world. How rich do I have to be before it's rich enough, before I say I have everything I need and I can just give it to God? Because we look about giving Him the leftovers. We look at giving Him the extra after our comforts are all provided for. And I convicted myself in preaching a sermon just on the finances, and I said this incredibly dumb statement at the end of the sermon that... If we're putting into our 401k, wood, hay, stubble, it's going to burn up, rust, moth, dust, corrupting. Wouldn't it make sense then to at least put that same percentage in here to eternity? I just lost you. No. I know it's such an extraordinary giving church. You guys can come to Traverse City anytime you want. I've seen what you raised for the building. You guys are awesome. So I'm preaching to the choir here. But God convicted me of that. And so I went home and had to have a hard conversation with my bride going, hey, I think this is like, how can I preach God's word and be convicted by God's word? And, and how much do we really need? How rich does God have to make us? Because we're all extraordinarily rich before we start living for the kingdom. How much more comfort do we actually need? 
There's coming a reward day. And it's encouragement to keep running the race. Is your life's aim to please Christ? I'm out of time. You know what we do? We have a temporary tent and we try and make our campsites more comfortable. They, you know they have camping chairs now? I just have the simple Coleman fold-up kind that are very basic. But I, I saw these others. Uh, they had foot rests where you can actually like recline in your camp chair and your feet up. How many you know? You probably have. Who has those in here? Do you know they have rocking ones now? You can actually have a rocking chair, camping chair? Like how glorious is that? And we try and put air mattresses in our tent. And it's not just the air mattress. Then we want the Tempur-Pedic or the Sleep Comfort air mattress in our tents. And we spend extraordinary amount of money going to gyms to protect and keep strong the tent. And by the way, I'm not against that because God's given us our bodies to steward. Just never forget temporary. Temporary by his grace. He's given us something more. He's given us the treasure of Jesus Christ himself who has led the way as our older brother the second Adam came and he rose again from the grave with an eternal body and hid the delights of heaven are so beyond even our ability to imagine. Hmm. I read a quote from C.S. Lewis in this article called The Weight of Glory. God must look down and see that our desires are not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who is content to make mud pies in the slums because he cannot imagine what is meant by a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. you know the return on investment in the kingdom? Like you've never had a, just on finances, you've never had a financial investment. Jesus said, if a person follows me and loses father, mother, sister, brother, won't I repay that a hundredfold? That's 10,000% increase. That's a 10,000% return. Good luck on investing anywhere close to that. Like if you do, let me know. (laughs) But that's temporary. By the way, Paul is not preaching a poverty theology in this text either. Don't don't hear what I'm not saying. He's saying, how are you living for the king? Would you pray with me? Father, God, I can't help but there's some decisions and steps of faith that are needed to be taken. So give us courageous faith. God, you have a purpose for every part of our life, even in the suffering. So God, even maybe the suffering is your grace to us. God, help us to continue to be willing to be poured out as drink offerings for the fame of your name. Help us not to work always to help our own comfort and to provide more things of the same thing. And 
God, the reality is that you can never get enough of what almost works. God, we know that, yet it doesn't keep us from living, investing in the temporal. God, help this church to continue to live for what really matters. And that's for your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his beautiful name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.